Welcome and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, Pastor Ben Hartwig brings us a message from the book of Ephesians. In this sermon, we are told how we must be dependent upon God. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 as Pastor Ben delivers his message titled, The Revelation of the Mystery. chapter 2 and verse 19 and again what we're doing is we're picking up where we left off uh, taking large chunks of scripture here in Ephesians and um, I don't know when when was the last time that's been a couple months but um, we uh, left off there in chapter 2 uh, we were we were on this matter of unity Paul was addressing this matter of unity and um, and then he gets into chapter 3 of why you know bob told us this morning you know when you look at these little words these little words are important and they kind of tell you they they're directional words tell you where to look and where to go from there and as he begins chapter three when he says for this reason i paul uh you know what's he doing there well if we start right there then we kind of miss what he said before concerning all those matters of unity and so we're going to look backwards we're going to start up there at verse 19 of chapter 2 and we will go to verse 13 of chapter 3 so again large chunks here uh, but we want to uh, grab what he's getting at what he's going back to uh, concerning the mystery of the gospel now being revealed uh, that which is revealed to us that which he is is so was so tirelessly uh, working towards as um, as he was uh, proclaiming uh, the gospel so uh, look there at verse 19 of chapter 2 so then You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read all this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Father, again, Lord, we come to you, Father, looking at a passage such as this, and Lord, we are thankful, Father. We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful Father, for the good news that has come to us in Jesus Christ, we're thankful, Father, that you have revealed this to us. That which was at one time veiled now has been revealed to us. Father, we are thankful for this, for without it we are hopeless. Without it, Father, we know that we are headed for hell. But, Father, with it we are headed for glory. And Father, we thank you and we praise you for it. But now, Lord, we ask that we would be challenged, Father. We would be challenged by the charge that we have to proclaim. That we have, Father, the purpose that we have in bringing, Father, your word, bringing your glory, Father, that um, you would use us as your instruments, Father, for this. And we thank you and praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, we 
going to take this as a unit, and again, there, there's a lot here, right? I mean, you know, you could take each one of these verses and preach three sermons in each verse, right? I mean, you could spend a lot of time in this passage, but again, what we do is we're taking large chunks in our time together, and uh, we had this concluding issue that we uh, looked at last time uh, concerning the unity, and now we look at how Paul takes this, and this flows into this matter of the mystery that was once concealed and now is indeed revealed to us. And so we have the unity. We had what was important about this unity, what we have as, as, as a united family of God. And so we are a family. And so we, we look at each other as family. We are indeed family, united fellow citizens in the kingdom. All families have their little bit of dysfunction from time to time, but uh, we are indeed a family. And, uh, and, and as that family, we do indeed bring glory to God. And so what that means and what Paul had said before is that we are first and foremost under heaven's government before any other. And Christ, the King of heaven, who has physically risen and lives uh, in our hearts, lives with us, is uh, uh, with us. We pray your will be done as it is in heaven. We do this. Those proclamations then that come from the throne of heaven are cheerfully received by us. We don't serve a, 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 a horrible, nasty, terrible king. We serve a benevolent king, a truly benevolent king. And so as these things are brought down from the throne of heaven, they are indeed cheerfully received by us. And we are unified uh, by these things. We are citizens. We share in these honors of heaven and uh, the glory that belongs to the saints uh, belong to us. Why? Because we are indeed saints of His. So technically, for those of us then who call upon Christ, we already wear that robe that is spotless due to the righteousness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we share in the honors of citizenship now. Uh, we have, uh, it's, it's that general assembly, it's that church of the firstborn, our names being written in heaven now. There is nothing in heaven that doesn't belong to us as citizens. No, it's not realized totally yet, but there is nothing in heaven that doesn't already belong to us as citizens. And so these things are enjoyed as we look forward to them in hope. And, uh, and they should be causing us to looking, be looking forward to His coming. So through the blood, through the suffering of our Savior, through uh, the, the torn flesh of Jesus Christ, all these things are made possible through the death of Christ the resurrection that uh, now aliens have indeed become citizens strangers have indeed become family idolaters have put away their idols for the living god and those that are hopeless do indeed inherit the promises of god and we become one in christ so now we are unified and we have a purpose so all that that i just said is as succinct as i could be to try to sum up what he said before without having to go through everything we went through before in chapter 2. And so as we take chapter 3 now as a unified people, as a family, his purpose that Paul was serving, the purpose that Paul had is our purpose, right? It's, it's a very similar purpose. The mystery is revealed, and we are to further that. That that which is revealed, that gospel which has been revealed, is now that which we are to further. Paul went over some truths emphasizing this divine source. And, and none of us completely understands uh, any specific. You take any specific truth of God, none of us completely understands that to the end, right? All the way and completely whenever we first hear it. And then we study it and we still don't understand it completely. We still don't understand it after the 15th time. And that's why we keep reading the scripture. Generally, you read a book or you watch this or you read this magazine article or something like that. You don't go back to it 97 times, right? But you keep doing that with the scripture and you don't have a problem continuing to do that with the scripture. And God's truths are so vast that we never really fully comprehend them regardless of how much time we take putting into them. Yeah, we can find the meaning. We can see what this passage means, but we continue to unpack more out of it. It doesn't mean something different. It never means anything different. It always means what it means, right? And we unpack things as we learn over time. But what we also realize, when you read a lot of things in God's Word, and whenever you see a lot of the things that Paul did, you realize these things would be totally unacceptable 
if they weren't from God. Many things that Paul would have done to go to walk straight into death. We look back at, the, at, the, at those during the Reformation. I mean, we're in Reformation Month now, right? And uh, Reformation Day is coming up here very soon. And we look at those guys. They, they would have been crazy to walk into the things that they walked into if they weren't serving God. These things come through faith. And what we see from Paul is we see this lived out in Paul. And we just don't, of course, study the man, Paul. We look towards this as a pattern, a pattern of life, a pattern of, of Paul's life, what he did. We, we said that these things, you know, these truths, these, these come through faith. They, these are followed by faith. They're believed by faith. And, and, and who in their right mind would become a prisoner of something that they at least didn't understand to the complete fullness unless it was of God? and believed and trusted by faith. They go to that gladly because this is what faith drives us to do. You know, those that choose not to believe, those who might consider themselves atheists, which I argue that there's really a, a, a true atheist, um, but uh, those that would argue such a thing whenever they say, these things are not true, these things are false, this is why, and they go through the list of reasons and all their, all their things, all their supposed contradictions and all these kind of things. Well, we look at who in the world would do the things that they did when we go all the way back to the beginning after Christ had rose from the dead. Who would do the things that those guys did knowingly going to their death if it was a lie, right? We don't completely understand and get it, right? We don't completely know. We weren't there whenever God created, right? We weren't there whenever everything was laid out. We weren't there for everything that has been done by God. And we don't totally get everything perfectly. But that doesn't mean that we don't serve gladly, right? And that's what Paul was doing. Paul, he calls himself... Not, it wasn't others that called him this. He calls himself the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, I think that there's quite a bit to that, which we don't have time to go into that and then everything else. But there's quite a bit to this. Paul was arrested really ultimately for no other reason than the gospel, right? That's what he was arrested for numerous times. And so the continued revelation, the, the mystery that had been revealed, the, the mystery that had been revealed that he was proclaiming, it got him busted and locked up in jail numerous times. And thus, if we're challenged with our faith, told that we would go to prison, told that you are going to be locked up if you don't renounce your faith, this would be a mystery in itself for someone to look at that and say, why in the world wouldn't you just renounce your faith and then turn around and go back and say, oh, well, I was just kidding, and just to at least not be locked up anymore, right? Again, this is faith, right? And this is what was driving Paul. And so we learn from him here. He never considered himself a prisoner of the Jews. He never considered himself a prisoner of the Romans. Regardless of where he went, he never considered himself a prisoner of the people that had him locked up. Paul, like us, is a minister of Jesus Christ. Yes, in different ways, and again, there's, there's, there is a difference there. Paul was an apostle, and there are differences, but we are ministers of Christ in some form or fashion, right? And like Paul, we were bought with a price, given the mission to proclaim the gospel, right? Proclaim it to who? Well, for us, for the most part, to the Gentiles, right? Whatever he did, he was a prisoner of Christ, and he considered himself under the control of Christ. And as a matter of fact, Paul recognized that without the Lord's consent, he was not subject to the plans. He wasn't subject to the, the power of, 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 of any government, the punishment of any government, or the imprisonment of any man or government. He wasn't subject to that. He was subject to the Lord. Now, while none of us will likely be imprisoned for the gospel in the next two weeks. Um, we might one day, but not for the next couple of weeks. What do we do with this? What do we, what, do we, what do we do with this? We realize for us as we 
tend to apply something like that is perspective means something. We need to recognize that if we're saved by the blood of Christ and we have had that which was a former mystery revealed because it has been now revealed to us, how we view and react to circumstances is more important than the circumstances themselves, right? If all we see is a situation and the situation that we find ourselves in, that situation is going to control you. We're not to feel good when circumstances are good and feel bad when circumstances are bad. If Paul would have looked at just his circumstances, my guess is he would have hung it up long before he did because he never did, right? He never did stop. Matter of fact, he would have died long before then. Well, he did die, right? Uh, some would argue that at that one point he did die and was brought back. But it isn't this nonsense is of, well, your situation is bad because you don't have enough faith. You know, that's your problem. If that was true, then Paul was faithless because he was in a bad situation quite often. If his life was in the hands of those people, if his life was in the hands of the people that have him locked up, he would have given up. He would have quit. And so we should know that this is to give a divine perspective that overcomes the circumstances based on the one who overcame death. That we would say as Paul that we would consider it all joy, right? When we encounter various trials. That's why he can say that. This is why we praise God that this is not the gospel for a specific ethnic group which is got into in this passage. This is not the gospel for this specific ethnic group, but yet this is the mystery for all that has been revealed for all who, have, who will repent and who will trust Christ. And so it's revealed for all. Paul wasn't, again, he wasn't in prison at some whim of the Lord. He was there for the saving purpose of the gospel. Just as Christ was not crucified for his own sake, but ultimately to show God's glory, right? But just as he was not crucified for his own sake, Paul was not in prison for his own sake. This was for the sake of the Father. This was the sake for the sake of his saving purpose in redemptive history. It was about the glory of God. Paul was in it for a purpose, and it was because he had been called to minister. Not for his purpose or in his power or for what he had going on, but he made these sacrifices to bring others to glory. Paul says, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints. That's from Colossians chapter 1. It's been revealed to those that will now adhere to it. So this mystery... It's revealed, and it's revealed out there for all. And every believer is a steward of the calling. That's you and I, right? That we're a steward of the calling, the spiritual gifts, the skills, the knowledge, the wisdom, every all these blessings that come from the Lord, the blessings that matter. You know, we're Americans, and we take blessing to be something different sometimes, but the blessings that matter, that which He has given us for His purposes, for His Word, taking His Word to the street, right? Everything that we have belongs to our Father in Heaven, and this has been revealed to you, if you have indeed received it in your call to the proper stewardship of it. So, of all the things that are revealed to us, Paul gets to it here, that in Christ, Jew and Gentile become one in God's sight. There is no distinction, right? They become one in kingdom, one in family. Now, we glance over that, right? We, we often glance over that because we don't really get how big that is, how big that was to Jews and to Gentiles. Many think that there's a lot of reasons that they can't come to Christ. And, and this disconnect that we have with the matter of Jews and Gentiles and them being together, you know, and not really getting it, you know, a lot of people think, well, I've got this going on and I can't come to Christ because I've been there, right? I was saved later in life. I was 21 years old and I was saved later and there was all kinds of reasons that I couldn't be saved. You know, there was all kinds of reasons that I had in my mind that I couldn't be saved. And, well, maybe my family's so bad or my sin's so bad. Well, your sin is bad and your sin does, uh, does separate you from God. And, but most of the time we wouldn't say, well, I'm a Gentile. <laughs> I can't come to Jesus because I'm a Gentile. 
but it's a it's big. It was it was a it was it was big. This is part of the revealing. This is part of the that which was revealed, right? And there's a lot again. There's a lot to that that we could spend a lot of time on. But the fact was, for Gentiles to hear that I could be saved, that was big. And so, as that extends to us, believe me, if there was nothing standing in the way of a Gentile being saved in the Gentile mind, there's nothing standing in the way of you being saved. This is what God has done. Yes, your sin keeps you separated from a holy God. Separated, ultimately, we know in hell. But what has been revealed is the gospel in Christ that says that if we would trust His death, if we would trust His resurrection, we would be saved regardless of how bad we might think we are. So now, it is given for all. All who are in Christ are given continued insight then into the gospel. It's further, it's explained, it's clarified for us. This insight in the scripture comes before you know, we would even apply it. If you don't understand what... The scripture is telling you, by the way, you certainly shouldn't start applying it. Bad things happen then so often. But this purpose is for all. There are those that have not repented, not been born again. What do they do? They attempt to take spiritual truths and apply them. This is disastrous. We get this in false teachers. We see this, you'll... Um, I know Brian affectionately mentioned Stephen Furtick this morning. I saw a video of his the other day on Facebook, and if you watch it enough, it will make you nauseous. If you understand the Scripture, if you see the Scripture rightly. But the opposite of spiritual insight might be spiritual foolishness. Uh, it's a lack of spiritual discernment. It's seen clearly in our world, you know, whenever you get such nonsense as, as Wicca, right? I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but... I've heard, I actually sat in a church with a girl that was, uh, she was an older teenager and she claimed to be a white witch. And a white witch is a good witch. And, uh, and, and Wicca, and this is not bad, this is, this is good. And, and, this is, and, and you can apply scripture here. And, and I, I, I mean, the nonsense that was coming out of her face was, I, I just, you know, where do you go with that besides this is the spiritual foolishness that we've come to, the free-for-all that we have. But we take things like, you know, Josh mentions this often, and, and, and I do as well because I hear it, and, and we take things like Blake Shelton sings about God's country. Well, that's a catchy tune, right? He sings about God's country and... and um, you hear that, boy, you sing along, you, you know, you start slapping your leg and something like this and how, and how wonderful God's country is. Well, God doesn't have countries. God has people. God has individuals. You know, if this was God's country, we wouldn't murder thousands of babies every year. God has people. But we take things like that and we twist it and we contort it into it makes us feel good. Satan doesn't mind songs like God's country and other things that mix God in with a little bit of country music theology. God has a people. You know, it's, it's not about God's country. It's God's people. This is, again, what the Bible would call spiritual foolishness. Those that recognize that there is a God, which is most people. I mean, if we're honest, the majority of people recognize there is a God. Whether they really want to admit that or not, they recognize that there is something, right? That there is a creator. But then to take foolish discernment and mesh it with the truth of God's word, and what comes out is a false religion. For America, it comes out in songs like God's country, right? But we know that there is actually a plan. Right? That God actually has a plan in the revealing of the mystery of God's Word. And so Paul clearly understood this. Paul didn't give us ramblings of nonsense. Paul understood this in the revealed mystery that Christ, that 
What Paul did is he sacrificed his freedom. Paul sacrificed his health and his life that other people could understand, that other people would hear the gospel. He sacrificed all that so people could hear. Apparently, the gospel's a big deal. That was his joy. You know, whenever Paul was beaten and imprisoned, he probably didn't look like he was real joyous, but he tells us that was his joy. God was always a missionary God, but in the past before the church age, no person, not even Isaiah or Moses, had anything but a glimpse of the truth that Paul clearly now lays out concerning Christ crucified. There's so much in the Old Testament that we only understand because of the revelation in the New Testament. There's, there's so many things in the Old Testament that we just wouldn't get a grip on at all if we didn't have the New Testament. We recognize from Genesis 12:3 that God was going to bless more than the Jews and do it through Abraham. We kind of take that for granted. You know, you look at Genesis 12:3 and we're told God is going to bless more than the Jews, all peoples of the earth. We just kind of roll by that and take that for granted, right? But how is he going to do it? No one knew the meaning of God's promise to Abraham that in all the families of the earth, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed until the time where Paul had written concerning the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations be blessed in you. And of course that... If you were in Sunday school this morning, if you weren't, you missed something. It was very enjoyable. Bob says, in that comes, where did that come from? That, that conversation came in justification by faith. How are the Gentiles justified before God? By faith. How was Abraham justified before God? By faith. What's this mean? This means that the gospel is for you. It also means that the gospel is for the people in your life that you have in front of you to proclaim it to, right? Whenever they say, even though I am whatever, or even though I've done this, yes, absolutely. The Old Testament saints, they had no vision for the assembling of all people together with no racial distinctions at all. They, they really didn't get a grip on that. They didn't have a real vision for that. But here it is. This is why Peter had such a hard time with the, the distinctions, the racial divisions. All this was in the forefront for him. He had a difficult time with this. It's difficult for us to realize, as I already said, it's difficult for us to realize how incredibly revolutionary this was for the people of Paul's day, for the Jews of Paul's day. Even though God had said that Gentiles will be blessed by God, sometimes we hear what we want to hear and hear how we want to hear it. But it had been said, the Gentiles will be blessed by God. This is to say to the Jews that lepers would no longer be isolated. Again, very difficult. And frankly, that is what we got when those that are dirty and are stained with sin are now clean. The Gentiles are full heirs the same inheritance. All Christians, regardless of their status, regardless of their position, are before being saved, now being fellow partakers of everything that pertains to Christ through the gospel. So, if you're lost and you're very poor, if you're lost and you're very rich, if you're lost and you're very smart, if you're lost and you're very not so smart, through Christ, the revelation, the mystery, we are all fellow partakers of the gospel. Verse 7, he goes into, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of His power. You know, every one of us has been a student of math at one time or another. You may hate it, but you've still had to deal with it. And as you advance in that, you have theories and theorems and sometimes it gets harder and then you've got to prove the formulas out and you've got to do all these proofs and you've got to go through all this and then you ask the question why do I have to do this 
Because when I work the problem, it works. I have faith that it works. I don't need to prove this out over here. I don't need to go through this proof formula to show that this actually does indeed work. And we remember that, I do, and I remember thinking, okay, well, it works, and it is kind of neat when you work through this and you see, oh, yeah, that's why it works. But you progress through this, and then maybe there was a time where you actually, the light bulb came on whenever you're doing this. You think, wow, I understand math now. Maybe, you know, that was your mom, your dad. For me, it was my grandma at one point that I was working through something. A teacher, maybe it was. But when we take the mystery of the gospel, when we take that which was at one time concealed. It's not concealed anymore. It is there for us. It's there that says that, yes, God is holy, and no, you aren't. However, Christ has died. Christ has risen. And if you trust Him, if you have faith in Him, you will be saved. And we take the glory of all that and the joy of all that revealed to us in Scripture, told to us in Scripture. And we know that it is for us and we may be saved by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ if we would repent. We turn from sin. We turn towards Christ. We go to the... We, we think about the application of this. And so Paul, as he, as he transitions here in verse 7 and he goes into the rest of this and, and how we would apply this... Well, again, what do we do? We proclaim it. We take it out. We take it further. We understand it. If we see it, if we understand it, we have this now. So the revelation of this mystery of the gospel, this didn't come by happenstance, right? I just didn't wake up one morning and say, oh, yeah, Jesus, right? No, the Lord specifically set aside somebody, right, that preached the gospel, that told you the truth. Paul was one of those guys that did that, right? Somebody had told you, maybe it was a preacher, maybe it was your friend, maybe it was a guy on the street, I don't know, but somebody had proclaimed the gospel and the light bulb came on to say, to say I am a sinner. I am dirty. I cannot stand before a holy God like this. I need something. And then I'm told, that something is Christ. Paul asked the question in Romans, how will they believe? And that which they have not heard, how will they hear without a preacher? Just as Paul gives, he's, as he says it is, without proclamation, they won't hear. And they will perish. That's why it's imperative that we do this. It's not just for preachers, right? You hear that? You hear that all the time? It's not just for preachers. That's for each and every one of us that we take this out. Because if they don't hear, they will perish. Paul was made a minister. The basic meaning of that is that he was a servant, right? Paul was indeed a servant. A servant is simply one who acts under the direction of their master. And in this case, it's fairly easy. Paul was acting under the direction of his Lord as a servant. His responsibility was to do just exactly what the Lord tells him to do, and that was to be obedient. His responsibility as a servant our responsibility as servants, being obedient, proclamation, being key to that. And, and when it comes to pastors, preachers, all the way to those that sit in the seat, go to work, tell somebody in the break room about Jesus, we don't make ourselves servant, Right? Our master makes us the servant. We are a servant by the very thing that is over us, and it was the working of God's grace in His power. This wasn't Paul's. This is why Paul was called to this. Now, often we want to put qualifications in all this, and whenever we look in the pastoral epistles, we do see qualifications for pastors. We, we get all that. And, uh, but I will say that for us, what it is is obedience, right? That's a qualification, being obedient to the master. For Paul, it, it wasn't his education, you know. It wasn't his education that made him a servant. It wasn't his natural abilities, uh, from what we read, quite the contrary. Um, it wasn't his experience. It wasn't his power. It wasn't his personality. It wasn't any of those things that made him qualified to be a minister of the gospel. He was made an apostle, right? 
He was made a preacher. It was all done by the power and the will of the Father in heaven. And, you know, as we look at preachers, we were talking about this last Sunday in our discipleship group. We were talking about this. And, and sometimes whenever churches will make qualifications for the pastors when they're searching for a pastor and they hand out these surveys. I've seen these before. They're ridiculous. How much experience do you want the pastor to have? How much? How many years of um, of, of, of learning would you like your pastor to have? Um, you know, and, and all these things. And, and, I, and a friend of mine even heard one person say, well, I want the preacher to be entertaining. A friend of mine told me that, and that's when the next week he came back to his pastor search committee with his Bible and, and, uh, and opened it to the pastoral epistles and explained the qualifications that they were looking for. Not entertaining, but... It's not what the survey says. It's not how much education. It's not how much experience. These aren't the qualifications. Obedience for us, by the way, is a qualification. This is what we must have. If the mystery is going to be revealed... Now, if you feel like the Lord is calling you to ministry, by the way, like formal pastoral ministry, missionary, something like that. We've had a couple of those here, right? which is awesome. We enter it by the Lord's calling, right? The Lord has called, we had entered it by His calling. That uh, doesn't mean, of course, that the man can't be disobedient. That happens from time to time, unfortunately. That also doesn't mean that he's not in danger of losing his effectiveness by neglecting the fact that he's a servant. That happens too, unfortunately. Of course, that, at that point is when the revelation of the mystery can have a tendency to lose his power and effectiveness. What happens there is to lose dependence on God. You know, Paul talks about his thorn, right? Why is he thankful for that? We don't get that whole story. I'd like to have it, but we don't get that whole story. But he's thankful for these things because this is what causes him to be dependent upon God. If there is something going on in your life, and we have people here that are struggling with several different things, right? There is a reason it is there. And it might just be for dependence upon God. That's what Paul was doing. Because for you to lose dependence upon God is to lose everything, including hope. One of the greatest dangers of Christian living, especially in the United States, is valuing what the world values. It's when we look towards things like personal prestige, our own ambitions. That's when the ministry of the church is, is, is shattered. God doesn't just choose weak people to save, but He also chooses weak people to preach to them. These are the weak that are made strong and powerful by the Lord. Now, we should take it very seriously when Paul considered himself, who, by the way, was the greatest church planner of all time, but we should take it seriously whenever Paul says of himself that he's the least of all saints. Now, Paul wasn't mocking humility here whenever he did that. All right, that's, that's not what was going on. This we need to look at seriously, that we know that we fall unbelievably short of the righteousness of Christ. Paul got that. Any one of you, especially those of you that have been born again for a very, very long time, you begin to see sin clear, right? It's not, whenever we were saved, we realized we were a sinner, but after you're 40 years out of that, you really realize where you're at, right? As you learn more, as you see more, as, 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 as you start to unpack the Scripture and you see these things, you understand even more that we fall short of the righteousness of Christ and we begin to understand that. We seek to become crystal clear of those unfathomable riches of Christ, His truth, His blessings. If you're obedient and productive in your Christian life, it can't be lived apart from your understanding of your glorious position of where you are at. Paul got that. Paul also saw where he was at because he understood his glorious position of where he was at. He understood how much of a sinner that he was. It isn't just to know the riches, it's to live in light of the riches and the purpose that he has. And the purpose is that manifold wisdom of God to be known, right? The purpose making the manifold wisdom of God to be known. People ask, why, is the, why has God brought the church into being? 
Why is the God brought the why is God brought this all into being? You know, people say, well, you know, was he lonely? Was he, you know, all this kind of stuff? Well, we know that this is nonsense. It wasn't that God was lonely. It was so he would manifest his wisdom to the angels. He would manifest his glory to the angels. This is the purpose of this. This is why Paul dedicated his life to this. This is why God is intending for you and I to dedicate our lives to this. That his manifest wisdom would be made known to the angels. Holy and unholy, by the way. That being demons as well. That it would be made manifest to mankind, holy and unholy. Because it doesn't say most knees will bow, right? It says all. Although some will experience the wrath of God while others experience the glory of God. We look at verse 10 and 11. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal purpose. This goes beyond his mercy and grace to a purpose that is eternal. Everything that is done is done for the purpose of his glory. The purpose of the church is not simply to exist for the purpose of saving souls. Now, like Bob said this morning, again, don't walk out of here thinking, he just said that the church doesn't exist for saving souls. Well, that is a glorious and important work. People being saved is a glorious and important work. We pray for that every single Lord's Day and all week long, that people will be saved through the ministry of the church, right? Because it is a glorious and important work. But the overarching purpose of the church is to glorify God by manifesting His wisdom. And you know what? People are saved through that, right? It's by manifesting His own wisdom before the angels. What will they do then? the angels they will offer greater manifest praise to god whatever that looks like i don't know that's one of those things that's exciting to look forward to though right this is the purpose and the mystery the revelation of the mystery in christ jesus to give glory to god and that will be completely realized by all holy and wicked the wicked will see this they won't get to participate in it but they will see that god is indeed holy and they will bow the knee although it will be forced. Christ will return. Evil is cast into hell. It is all destroyed. The church then is not the end, right? The church is the means to the end of glorifying God, the glory of God. That's the supreme goal of creation. That was what Paul was driving towards. It is to be my supreme goal, your supreme goal, in our lives, everything, the things that we do, and that this glory, this is the supreme goal of creation. So you that are here that are redeemed people, if you are indeed redeemed, you have caused angels to rejoice in heaven. Now, if you're lost, you have something before you as well, right? You have the opportunity to come to the Father. You have the opportunity to be born again. You have the opportunity to repent of your sins. And it's then that angels do what? Angels rejoice. Angels praise God for your salvation. If we ever wonder what was driving Paul and what should be driving us, that's certainly part of it, right? We know, as I said, even the fallen angels the demons will glorify God, even though it's certainly not their intention. They will glorify God in the fact that God will pour their wrath upon them, right? They rejected the glory of God. They seek their own glory. That caused them to be cast out of heaven in the first place. God is glorified then through the fallen angels by continually frustrating their rebellious plans, showing the futility of their evil intentions when they make their feeble attempts to destroy His church. Think about the church over the last 2,000 years. If the church was not of God, it wouldn't have made it 15 minutes the way that it has been come against. And so when we think of the last 2,000 years... We see the futility of their attempts. And so, His wrath also displays His glory. It's a revelation of who He is and His holiness. It's the same with the lost. 
They become objects of wrath. They display the holiness of God upon them, whether they intend to or not. So we should seek His glory above all things. First of all, by repenting of sin and coming to Christ, right? Is that we do see the power of God in creation, the wrath of God at Sinai, God's love at Calvary, but we don't see the manifold wisdom and purpose until this mystery is made known through the church. See, it's not written in the clouds, right? It doesn't drop out of the sky. It's made known through the church. The church now sees the taking of Jew and Gentile, again, that we don't completely grasp because we're disconnected from that, but it's big, right? The taking of Jew and Gentile, male, female, who all murdered the Savior at the cross, right? It made them one, one spiritual body in Jesus Christ that now every sinner, you, me, that we would repent, we would turn to Christ and add that stone to God's temple, another member to His body, eternally with the Savior, every other, along with every other forgiven and cleansed sinner. So we see the revelation of the ministry, of the, of the, of the mystery is a privilege. It's a privilege for those who serve Him. See, this is the thing. When I go to work every day, I don't see that really as a privilege. Um, even though I guess it was a privilege that, you know, my boss probably views it as, well, you got hired here and it's sort of a privilege that you work here. But um, there's lots of jobs right now. Um, forget that. But this is different, right? Again, benevolent master. A servant of a benevolent master who freely gives. When we think about what is awaiting us that we can't comprehend, this is a benevolent master that we are servants of. There is nothing burdensome about this. This is a privilege. This is the privilege. You come freely to God and you share in all of heaven's unfathomable riches. We go back to the Old Testament. We think of the Jews. We think of only the high priest entering the presence of God, right? And he could do that any day of the year. Anytime he wanted to, he just walked in. Because he's the priest, he could just walk in. No, he can't do that, right? He can't do that. He cannot just walk into the Holy of Holies anytime he likes. He could do that on the Day of Atonement. If he did it any other time, he would die. If he did it wrongly on that day, he would die. And if anyone else would do it, it was instant death. But now, every person who comes by faith comes to God with boldness. Why? We know the curtain's been torn in two, right? It's the privilege, the mystery of the church. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. We draw near and have confidence to the throne of grace. In this privilege, in this faith, we draw near with, as it concerns this boldness, that doesn't mean we're irreverent or we're flippant or something like this. Boldness, well, now I'm one of his. I can just act however I want. I don't, you know, this is not the big guy, right? We don't refer to him as the big guy, the man upstairs. So that's not boldness. That's not what we're talking about. A child walks into your room, right? You're in bed. Why does that child do that with boldness? How can that child do that? Because you love that child, right? Because you have a love for that child. That's the kind of boldness we're talking about here. We come with a boldness and honest, open heart. I can come before God with everything that I have, including my sin. I can come with all of that because of Christ, right? And I could do that in a freedom of speech, in a freedom of spirit. Like that child coming into the room of the mother and father. A confident access that I'm not going to be pitched out because I belong. Because Christ has saved me. Because I am born again. That's the privilege of the mystery that we belong to Him. So we don't lose heart because of circumstance. It isn't our circumstances, as we said, that drive us. This is the Savior that has saved us. It is for us to be obedient to Him. And that's not burdensome because He is benevolent. So it's important that this mystery has been revealed to you specifically. I hope that it has. 
I hope that you see the gospel and you see it rightly. I hope that it has changed your life. Are you knowing that privilege? Do you live in light of that privilege to be in His purposes and that you're, you're driven to proclaim? You're driven to tell others. Do you seek to bring glory to Him? If it's that you need to repent because you haven't, obviously I would usher you to do that. And I assure you that when you do, the angels in heaven will give glory to God. They will give glory to God. It is at that point that you will be driving their praise to the Lord. Are you confident that you're a fellow partaker of the gospel? Are you confident that you're a partaker of the inheritance, being in Christ through the acceptance of the gospel? This is what's creating in, when I say the perfection of the church, I don't mean that we're perfect, but what God has put together is is perfect. There is not true unity. There is not true oneness. There is not salvation apart from the reality of the gospel in Christ. And for this unity to be fully recognized, every one of us must recognize our positional unity that we have with Christ and live in it, in our Lord, our Savior. Do you claim the revelation of the gospel? Are you one who's been unified in unity in the church for the purpose of the gospel? Understand that the Father has sent the Son so that you would repent for His purposes and you would come into the fold of Christ for His purposes. And the mystery has been revealed. It's been revealed to complete His purpose in you for His glory. Let's pray. Our most gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, it has been said at the opening of service. Father, to come into Your presence would be death outside of our our Savior, Jesus Christ. But Father, because of Jesus, because of salvation, it is not wrath that we experience. It is Your mercy and Your grace. And Father, may we just humbly bow down and be thankful for that. And Father, take this privilege that You have given us to be servants of Yours and joyfully take that out and proclaim it to a world that is lost and dying and headed for hell. Father, that Your glory would be manifest in the repentance of lost folks. And Father, we thank You and praise You for the opportunity that You've given, the privilege that You've given us, Father, for this. Use us for your purpose. Use us for your glory and your honor and your praise in whatever way you see fit. Father, we thank you. We praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed and were deeply affected by this week's message titled, The Revelation of the Mystery. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.